In a world where radio stations are ten a penny... Can I have ten radio stations, please? That'll be a penny, love. Thank you. There is one radio station... There can be only one. There can be only one. There can be only one. That stands out from the crowd. I want that one. All right. What is this thing? It's River Radio. There can be only one. One that's made entirely out of syrup. (laughs) Hello and welcome to River Radio and the politics show, which is called Politically Correct. So here from studios in Marlow, broadcasting across the river... Across the river area, Thames Valley area, I should say. I'm having signals made at me by my my co-host. I'm not sure what he's saying. I think it's two fingers. Is that two fingers, Michael? I wouldn't dream of putting two <laughs> fingers up at you, <laughs> sir. Great. We've got a really interesting show today. We've got. Um, we'll be introducing you to Margaret Lenton, who's a JP former head teacher and also somebody who chaired the Magna Carta. Um, <laughs> 800th anniversary, very shortly. I'm a little bit intimidated. She already sounds very clever. Very, very yes. indeed, yes. Okay. She has to be. She, she employed me as a teacher. <laughs> no, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean you were clever. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So, Michael, today, yes. you know this show is about politics. Yes. Kind of. Well, for me, it's really about the art of the possible, showing people the art of the possible, informing them and empowering them towards better governance and greater levels of equality and so hopefully peaceableness and peacefulness in in, in our time. But you know, a couple of recent articles have really caught my eye on the BBC and also in the press. The first one was going back to the 1960s, the Mangrove Nine, and how they used, this is a group of people who, I wouldn't say weren't weren't educated, but they certainly represented themselves in the Old Bailey, which was quite a high profile. You're going to need need to tell me a little bit more about that. I absolutely will. Absolutely will. I've got different images of it. Uh, you're thinking about somewhere in, in sub I'm thinking Saharan. about a tropical drink at the moment. I <laughs> okay. don't know why. Maybe because it's so warm. Fair enough. And they used the Magna Carta to defend themselves against what looked like the over-intrusion of the state. Hang about. This is the 1960s. And the Magna Carta was in 15... 12, 15. Oh, see? You see, Margaret's already there. 12 you, you, something. You're seeing a thread I, coming here. There's no. a thread. There is a thread. <laughs> 1066, yeah. 1066, no, it's a lot long after. No, but it's a date. It's a date. I'll just throw it out there. It's a date. So anyway, yeah. Okay. Okay. And then we have the recent acquittal at the Southwark Southwark Crown Court of a group of middle-aged, and I stress middle-aged because I am middle-aged, actually getting old, or Extinction Rebellion activists. So these aren't young people who are throwing their um, toys out of a pram. These are people who should know better and clearly do know better, but they were acquitted by a jury of their peers, despite having no defence in yeah, law. Yeah, I read it, and they didn't have a defence, did they? I mean, it all makes sense, but in terms of the legality of the defence, they didn't have one. So we're, I'm wondering, are we starting to see the pressures of injustice reaching new heights with people, able and noble people, we've got a lot of very well-educated people in the country nowadays, standing up against self-serving politicians and corporates? I'm wondering, are we heading for a new Magna Carta? 
gosh, that that is a that's a big statement there because that's suggesting this is this is American Constitution making an amendment to do because if maybe maybe you can't sit on on, on an archaic because within the government there are there are laws and acts that go way on back to Charles I, 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 I can see that you your mind blown. So in that case, let's play a bit of Jess Glynn. Um, hold my hand. Okay. Right. Good idea. Good idea. Standing in a crowded room and I can't see your face. Put your arms around me, tell me everything's okay. Wow. 
the amazing Jess Glynn, who's going to be playing at Windsor Racecourse in the next few weeks. I think I'm going to be, it's going to be too young for me to watch, but she's an amazing singer, oh, amazing don't, performer. Oh, don't be like that. You're, you're only as old as, oh, and all the other stories. Let's not go ones. there. You're yeah. on dangerous ground. <laughs> yeah. So Jess Glynn, hold my hand. And I played that because we are going to be holding the hand of Margaret Lenton very shortly. And she's going to be taking us on a journey through the Magna Carta and helping us understand the principles of how the Magna Carta has been such a pivotal pivotal and influential uh, document pushing for freedoms, not just in the UK, not just over centuries, but across the world. It's a testament that it's it's still considered to be valid, but I'm sure... I'm sure Margaret's got something to say. I'm sure Margaret will well. t- tell us which bits are still valid. Okay. So here we are on River Radio. We're talking about April's decision at the Southwark Crown Court in the case of the mangrove knife in the 1970s and asking, really, are we seeing a new era of gov- new age of governance, collaborative governance or collaborative democracy, where people can actually push the boundaries and ch- make things different or change things? So is Parliament is parliamentary sovereignty, I have to say, on track for a noble battle with the people of the land? Did you like what I did there? I did. Okay. I are did. we heading for a new Magna Carta? <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. I'm going to introduce you to Margaret Lenton, who's a historian, a retired school principal, and an active J- JP, Justice of the Peace, for 22 years, a councillor at Rainsbury yeah, Parish right. Council. Okay. Hold on now, please. Thanks so much. <laughs> Margaret, Tha- Margaret chaired RBWM's stakeholders group to celebrate the 800th anniversary of the Magna Carta in 2015. She's also been the mayoress of the Royal Borough of Windsor Maidenhead in 2017-18. Margaret, welcome to the show. Round of Thank applause, you. round of applause. It's wonderful to have you here today. Well, absolutely wonderful. And and I love the fact that that, that, that breadth of knowledge, that, that's what we want to tap into today. So, Marco, welcome to the show. I mean, thank you for coming all the way from Raysbury over here. Um, Tell us, what was the Magna Carta and who were the main players? Well, I'm just sitting here reflecting that King John and the barons who were parties would have been absolutely shocked at what's happened because it was very much a contract between barons who were fed up with a very... Um, a king who was extremely cruel, uh, levied taxes, imprisoned people. This is John. This is John. Well, he succeeded his brother. If there'd been primogeniture, he wouldn't have, but he was in the right place at the right time, and he's an adult, whereas the next heir was a child, but the strong evidence that John had him murdered. So primogeniture, what what does that mean? Uh, the eldest um, inherits. Can't believe you didn't know that. Uh, well, I, just oh, was, I know it as the heir and the I spare. I was just frightened to That's ask. how I hear it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, King John, um, given this track record, the barons wanted to pin him down. And they started in St Albans... They then went on to Bury St Edmunds where they swore an oath not to separate until they'd achieved what they wanted. Hold on a second. The barons, these are the guys who were set up by the king. They're given the authority by the king to lord it over um, the proletariat and people like uh, me. uh, Isn't that that so? Yes, I think proletariat is a bit 
rich at that time. We're talking about barons and peasants, serfs, serfs, and all that. Well, some serfs. Okay, so so the barons. I mean, we just set the scene. The barons clearly have an important role in subduing the land and making sure that it's peace and uh, things. Um, progress in an orderly fashion. So how did John upset that apple cart? Well, first of all, he was here all the, the time because in the past, um, the kings from William the Conqueror were abroad a lot, so they were freer to do what they wanted. And then John lost battles in France, particularly the Battle of Bouvines, which very few people have heard about, but that decided that John became the King of England and lost lands in France. Well, that affected the barons because they had to choose between their French lands and their English lands. Okay, so we've got an idea of nationhood here, which is slightly bigger than just our shores. So the nation of of the United Kingdom or Great Britain extended into France. Oh, yes. Well, uh, Henry II ruled more of France than the King of France. But gradually that went, starting with the reign of Richard I. And then John, who lost this major battle. And also King John made a mistake because he took on the Pope. Um, The Pope had selected a churchman when there was an argument as to who became Archbishop of Canterbury. And the Pope selected Stephen Langton, and John didn't want him. So the whole country was put under what was called an interdict. No church services, no... You could get married outside a church, but you couldn't go in for the blessing. Um, no burials. In no the end, burials? That's right. What did they do then? Well, no, no services. Had, just had to leave it. Oh. But Gosh. John, could he fight the barons and the church? No, he made an accommodation with the church. Right. But then you've got the barons, and it comes to a head at Runnymede. You've got the barons on the fields of Runnymede with their retainers, and King John in Windsor Castle. So- and he comes down... And over a few days, they negotiate. Why is it called Magna Carta? Because it's a hodgepodge. It contains stuff about the river, um, the forest. Uh, There was the forest charter, which was then split off. But then there were these clauses, and four of them are still law in this country. That's, I mean, that, that in itself is, I know it's the context of what we're talking about today, but it is quite remarkable to have something as way back as then, and it was 14, 11, 12, whenever it was. Um, <laughs> what, I don't, I don't, I don't, no, there are no stupid questions. What does Magna Carta actually translate as? What Great does, Charter. Great Charter, okay. So, Latin. Yep. There we go. That's you've been told. No, no, no. I'm, I, again, I, this is all about learning. I love it. I, and, and politics is, is as much about understanding our past as it is about planning our future. Absolutely, understanding human nature. Mm. So, so, Margaret, you said that many of the clauses were gotten rid of because they were about day-to-day life, perhaps? Whereas- well, no, they were about forest laws, and it was um, a hanging offence to shoot the king's deer and things like that. And you've got England uh, covered by forests. 
But then you've got the bit that applied to um, the things that the barons were interested in. But also there's some very interesting clauses on women. Tell us more. Because women uh, could be married off and barons, daughters, widows, etc., King John could use that as useful bargaining chip. And in the Magna Carta, it says, no widow shall be married without, uh, except to an equal partner. So it sounds like there was um, the king, if you like, could say and do whatever he wants, and it sounded like he did do that, and he took it to extremes, and actually what we might say is he trampled people's human rights, by the sound of it. I think human rights in 1215 is going a bit strong. <laughs> but, but even for the barons, that but, they uh, felt there was an element well, of human it, rights, it, clearly. To illustrate, he put one family, <laughs> and it's supposedly in Corfe Castle, and they were starved to death. Yes. And there's evidence of cannibalism. Well, And e- that even shocked people because it was a mother and her children so, in 1215. Are we saying that at this time the divine right of kings, as, as the concept was, had that be already been weakened at this time and was this no. an attempt to reduce that, weaken the that further? The divine right of kings is James I. Yeah. I mean, no king would have thought that anybody was going to challenge him because... The king was in charge. All the money was his. The knights, the barons owed him service. But Magna Carta is the first time a king's brought under control because the Magna Carta is guaranteed by 24 barons. Okay. Could One I- of them is de Lanvalai, who had land around Raysbury, etc., and he's the youngest of the barons, and he outlives them. Could uh, the, the concept of the of this agreement with the king with the divine right, and yet the barons, quite frankly, if the barons decided they didn't like it, they had the power, and the, presumably in in England, to actually take control if they wanted to, but they didn't because the king has a divine right. Was there an element of him bluffing his way to get what he wanted, or or did they, or did he have superior forces because? Again, uh, they didn't trust him because he had reneged on so many agreements, and they wanted to pin him down. But how uh, did they? How did they? How did? If again, the end result is still he is the divine right, and he has the choice. Well, how for they, the first time, his power has been circumscribed, and this takes us in a different direction to European monarchs, even when the Stuarts, and we cut off the head of Charles I, look at the way that Louis Fourteenth behaves and says, I am the state. Yeah, okay. So let's go back to the um, Magna Carta. So what are the enduring clauses from the Magna Carta? The Church of England shall be free and shall have its rights undiminished and its liberties unimpaired. There's the bit with the Pope. and That was a big dig at the Pope, wasn't it, basically? Well, no, the Pope supported him and told King John afterwards to ignore the Magna Carta. Now, my, my understanding is that the Church of England was established... This is Henry VIII. Henry VIII, exactly. yeah. So what, what does this refer to then when it the says Catholic the Church, Church? The Catholic Church, okay. Yeah. 
No war tax is to be levied in our realm except by common council of our realm. What does that mean? Well, if you're going to pay taxes, uh, the barons, etc., there's got to be some measure of consent. Okay, so the barons are the ones who consent to that. They were the peers no, at that stage, were they? Nobody else thinks. Nobody thinks at this time about ordinary people. Also, it's carried on because along comes Simon de Montfort, who was Henry the Third's brother-in-law. He married King John's daughter. And he wins the Battle of Lewis and takes Henry III prisoner. And out of that is Parliament's created. And that brings in people who live in the towns, the burghers. And the king has to work with the barons in the House of Lords and the burghers, etc. So, so up in this time, democracy was fundamentally only uh, the... I suppose the domain of the of the barons. And now, yeah. after um, De Montfort, then we have the townsfolk or town leaders also coming into the picture and having some That's level of right. rights and um, responsibility. What about free people? Were there any free people at that time? Well, they were free, but did they play any part in government? No. Not at all. Okay. So that's the second one. So we're saying that... Um, the- um, what, what creates freedom is the great plague of the time, the Black Death, because after that, people had to be paid because there wasn't enough labour. I mean, we talk about our pandemic, can't say it, pandemic, but the Black Death wiped out probably a quarter to a third of the population. Okay, so so that was the second law. So the first one was that the Church of England, or the Church, um, had rights in itself. Second one was that... the taxation could only be raised by the consent of whoever the voting parties or those people who were enfranchised at the time. What were the other others? Uh, the City of London is to have all its ancient liberties and free customs by both land and water. Okay. And h- how does that affect us? Well, um, it was that London is the capital and you've got there the people who lent money and uh, major businessmen who mattered to the monarch. So we're almost setting up, if you like, the principles of what's become the City of London today. Oh, yes. Wow, okay. And are there any others which are... And the final one, which is the one which counts throughout the world, no free man shall be taken or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or in any way ruined, nor will... We go or send against him except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. Could you read that again? That's quite wow. profound. Wow. Can I just say, wow, that is just to, for something then which works today. Yeah, it bears repeating again. Yeah, please to. do. Please do. No free man shall be taken or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or in any way ruined, uh, nor will we go or send against him except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. That sounds quite profound because it's doing three things at the same time. First, it's saying a human being 
who is enfranchised, and I stress the word enfranchised. No, it's not. Just remember, yep. at this time... For the barons. It, it's the barons. Exactly. That's what I mean by enfranchised. It wasn't normal people, but those barons now have rights in themselves, almost as if they are godly beings who exist, and therefore uh, they on. have so some define, rights and responsibilities. At that time, define... What's you defined by a free man? Well, remember, it's the barons who wrote this. Right. And they weren't thinking about ordinary people at all. No, even it's though the, now we apply it to ordinary people. Well, I say they would have been shocked to discover yes. what it now means. Whoops. So we're saying that people have rights and that ju- justice must be seen to be done or done swiftly. Yes. Okay. Let, but there's clause 40. Go on. To no one will we sell, to no one will we deny, delay, right or justice. Okay. Shall we take a quick break there whilst we consider those interesting points? Yeah. We're going to go for the um, You've Got It from the Average White Band. Yep, indeed. And uh, more to come here on River Radio.
Hello and welcome back to River Radio and the Politically Correct Show. You're listening here to Wisdom Da Costa. I'm joined with by Margaret Lenton, who's a JP for 22 years and a historian and something of an expert on the Magna Carta. And of course, our very own Michael Borton. Who, who just asked questions because I'm just learning everything. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's incredible. I'd, I'd take notes if I could, but there's too much information. So um, <laughs> please come back, Margaret. That's all I can say. Okay. So, Ma- Margaret, we're going to go back over the that, that key clause, which has proved pivotal and seminar across history and across the world. Can you read that again and then tell us how many other countries, how many other jurisdictions, how many other epochs and eras have claimed a right to the Magna Carta and have used it to form their constitutions or governances? Yeah. Uh, No free man shall be taken or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or in any way ruined nor will we go or send against him except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. And then there's clause 40, to no one will we sell, to no one will we deny, to no one delay right or justice. Um, King John died the following year. Uh, Fortunately for us... um, his young son was nine when he became king. Is this Richard III? Henry III. Henry III, sorry. And... I don't know why I'm doing that. I, I, but I can't, Sorry, uh, for the benefit of the audience, Margaret, how did, how did King John die? Allegedly, a surfeit of peaches. I presume not tinned ones. <laughs> but he left his young son, but there was a major French invasion... But one of the most remarkable characters of the Middle Ages, William Marshall, was Henry III's regent. And he saved the country because he drove Louis of France out and established Henry III. And he'd been a relatively minor knight. He made a lot of money in tournaments. And then he became a major advisor to John. And John left his young son in his care. But then, um, to get everybody on board, the charter was reissued in 1217 and then 1225. It goes on the back burner really until the reign of James I, when you've got a king with divine right trying to uh, minimise the work of Parliament, and Sir John Cook, who lived in this area and is buried locally, brought up Magna Carta against James I, and James had a tantrum because of this, and The story is that he uh, fell on the floor, mouth foaming and grabbing at the reeds on the floor when Cook told him he couldn't behave like that Mm -hmm. because of Magna Carta. And wasn't there also, is it Oliver Cromwell who used the Magna Carta to say, well, actually, we can't delay the trial against Charles because Magna Carta says you've got to have quick justice? I'm not aware that Cromwell was so well informed. I think Cromwell did his own thing most of the time. Okay. Um, 
And remember, he dispensed with Parliament at one stage. True, true. But um, when the American colonies were complaining about tea duties and various other things, um, you could see posters in Boston of people carrying leaflets which talked about Magna Carta. And it's at the core of the American... Um, Declaration of Human Rights and the American Constitution. So what aspects of the Magna Carta? Well, these very... Um, Trial by jury uh, yes, of your peers. Exactly. Quick and justice. The, no taxation without representation. Okay, so that's basically saying that we have to agree to taxation. Yeah. Okay. God, as, as you said, though, there, Margaret, earlier on, if only they'd known the impact of what they were doing... And how it's going to affect the human race because it, the impact was global. And you know, talking about the Chinese and the Americans, this is not something that just finished. Hold on, hold on. Where did the Chinese come into this? Oh, ask Margaret. She knows all about the Tell Chinese. Tell us about the Chinese and Magna well, Carta. No, I, we were a bit surprised that in 2015, when there was the 800th anniversary of Magna Carta, present at Runnymede with the Queen and all the dignitaries were representatives of Chinese television. Um, a very articulate um, presenter plus an English cameraman. I so, think they saw Magna Carta as, uh, in Marxist terms as the first state to I got the you. rule of the proletariat. Yeah, okay. I knew there was a good reason. Yeah, I, no, was a good I can see that connection. Yes. <laughs> and then you find Magna Carta being mentioned in the French Revolution because Tom Paine is in France, but then the revolution takes a turn with Robespierre, mm -hmm. and then I don't think Napoleon was too interested in equal <laughs> rights, etc. Probably not. And actually downplayed the role of women, very much so. But then, in this century, um, certainly the people who drew up the Charter of the United Nations following the Second World War, they knew about Magna Carta. Right. And that is part of their um, background. But all the Commonwealth countries, bar one, Rwanda, which has a different background, the other 52 countries, including the UK all except Magna Carta. And if you talk to people in India, Nigeria, Malta, West Indies, they will talk about Magna Carta. And mm -hmm. actually, to our shame, they know more about it than we do. Well, okay. Now, we, we talked earlier on about the conditions which existed in the time of John, which, gave, which forced the baron to say, look, enough is enough. We need to have an equal playing field here, some common decent ground rules for everyone to apply. How has that happened? What have you seen in places like America or the French Revolution? What sort of conditions were existing for them to say, well, let's grasp for something that will improve our governance? Well, I think the people who made the American Constitution... They were people who travelled a lot, people like Jefferson, uh, Washington. Uh, they knew their history. Um, 
except they had the issue of slavery, but I think the people who made the Constitution didn't expect it to survive. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know about the invention of a cotton gin. But again, the way they frame the Constitution is to talk about this rights because the Declaration talks about equality. Uh, we yep. hold these rights to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Wow. Okay. So it sounds as if in each of these situations, there was this period of turmoil where people are grasping to say, well, what are we? Who are we? Um, we have to change uh, because we're forming a new empire or a new nation, or even in the case of, of the United Kingdom, we have to change because what was here before was intolerable. Well, the Victorians very much dwelt on Magna Carta and there were a lot of people who gradually pushed through changes. Um, you've got the Great Reform Bill of 1832, which abolished the rotten boroughs, because I think five people in Old Sarum, which yeah, is now this. Salisbury, mm -hmm. could vote and for I, two MPs. It almost felt like it was five people and a horse, and it was ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. And then it goes to... 1867, and you get the urban working class, and that was Disraeli, uh, a conservative. And um, it's a very interesting looking at the way that worked because they tried to derail him by putting in amendments that they thought he wouldn't accept, but he was desperate yep. to get the act through. So, what was the act that Disraeli got through? It was the second reform bill. Okay, so I can see a thread here. So we've we've come along with um, decades or sorry, centuries ago, even thousands of years ago, where the king had divine rights. And we've, we've extended the rights and the equalities of freedom, if you like, to the nobles. Then we've said that after the Black Death, we've had this right extended to leaders of towns. So was this really the next in that process in terms of giving... Well, it's going along that changes. You've got the creation of Parliament, Henry VIII, and uh, there is not a Democrat in any sense. To carry through the, te uh, the Reformation, he relies on Parliament to um, deal with the monasteries... Mm -hmm. Because the people who were voting, they got the land, etc. Okay. And they had every interest on it succeeding. And when Catholic Mary comes along, she can't unscramble all of this, even though she's a dedicated Catholic. And then you've got Elizabeth, and Elizabeth knows to work with Parliament although there's certain things they couldn't discuss, like her marriage. Okay, so you've got a clear, strong parliament already established at this point. So at what stage did um, the common man or other ordinary people start to get the vote? And then when did that move to women? And then where are we in terms of that sort of whole idea of well, people the being equal? Well, it's not until the 1860s. Okay. And then women, uh, the first person really to talk about votes for women was John Stuart Mill right. in the 19th century, but it takes the suffragettes. But there's also a group of women who don't receive the same um, 
background who are the suffragists and they're plodding away and they don't believe in some of the methods of the suffragettes, like throwing yourself in front of the king's derby horse. Mm. And do you think that was accelerated by the Second World War, oh, the First yeah, World War? The First World War, because they yep. needed women's labour. And what about the first period when men got the vote? What accelerated that? We was the Black Death, we've got the war, we've got these trauma trauma well, periods the in society. Thirties, you've got a growth of a larger and larger middle class. And you had people in Parliament who realised it wasn't right that five people and whatever's at Old Serum had the right to select two MPs. Okay. Also, also, we're talking about a huge disbursement of population, aren't we? As the Industrial Revolution's coming, you've got all the mills, you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people with very little representation because most of the representation was in the South, not in the north. Well, you've got places like Manchester and Birmingham that had suddenly become major cities mm. with no representation. So it sounds like the Industrial Revolution was the key point in terms of men's suffrage, if it's such a thing. Well, also people were scared about what had happened in France. Right. And they thought it might happen here. Uh-huh, okay. And they didn't realise... I mean, first of all, our nobility wasn't like the French because... In France, if your father was a duke, all the children were dukes and duchesses. In the UK, the son was became the duke, but the rest, two generations down, mister. So they had to make a living. Also, a lot of the aristocracy, um, they invested in canals and uh, the factories mm-hmm. and also some of the factory owners married into the aristocracy okay well, Margaret, we're going to stop you there, there for just a second we're going to have a quick break um we have james brown get up off of that thing and when we come back we're going to really just bring this to to a climax and really bring some of these thoughts of um, parliamentary sovereignty we're looking at democracy we're looking at the rights of individuals and bring that to the head in terms of today
here to River Radio, Politically Correct, and we're talking about the Magna Carta and whether the conditions are arising for a new Magna Carta. And our Magna Carta expert is none other than Margaret Lenton, JP, and uh, former school teacher, in fact, former school head. Margaret, I understand that you're involved with a few other things. Before we move back onto the Magna Carta, tell us more about this Seroptimists. Oh, yes, I'm a Seroptimist, which is a woman's organisation that started in the US... And it's 100 years old today, uh, this year. And also Windsor and Slough are celebrating 60 years of seroptimism. And it's highlighting women's issues, which I think actually takes us back to Magna Carta. Oh, it kind of all links in, doesn't it? I love the word yeah. seroptimism. That's a wonderful word. So, so where, how do you get in touch with the um, seroptimists in Windsor and Maidenhead? How about trying me? <laughs> okay, how can people get in touch with you, Margaret? Well, if if they look, um, my emails around, and also um, our numbers in the phone book. Okay, so look out for Margaret Lenton or sigbi.org. Yes. And and if you if you have any questions for Margaret, then do email studio at river.radio uh, and we'll be sure to forward them on. Yeah, we'll pass them on to me, wisdom at river.radio, and I will certainly pass them straight on. Marvellous. So we're going to go back to the Magna Carta and we've brought ourselves up to date. So we, we've talked about the idea of parliamentary sovereignty, which is the which is the idea. Well, we haven't talked about it, actually. But what we had talked about was removing sovereignty from the king or from the monarch who believed that they were the they could do whatever they want and putting that into into parliament. And more recently, we have talked again about parliamentary sovereignty with the Baroness Hale of Richmond in 2019 when she opined on the wrongful, during the evolution of Brexit, that the government's prorogation of parliament was unlawful. What we're saying is that parliament should be the body that makes all the laws, repeals them, 
breaks them or makes them. But that perhaps we've talked also now about the consent of the governed. And we sort of said that actually the barons were more interested in themselves and they wanted to have the consent, their consent, for anything that the king did. And normally, also not normally, nowadays, consent of the government is a slightly more broader appeal. <coughs> Excuse me. And we talked about the suffrage movement. So it's not just the barons who can vote. It's not just men who can vote. It's everybody who can vote. Everybody who has who exists, really, in this country, who has a, a NIC card can, can actually vote. So we are all in part of this consent. We are the governed. We are the ones who are now entitled to consent to whatever government does. So I want to ask the question, if we bring that forward to today... And the modern age, before it was the barons saying, no, we don't want this, we have to, you have to change this, Parliament, King. Um, we, we now look at this issue with Extinction Rebellion and a court case which recently happened. And I'm just wondering whether we've moved all the way along with this idea of democracy and representation. And now we're at the stage where each of us can have a stronger say in what's going on in, in society, almost even like a new Magna Carta. Let me just read you a little bit more about the, the recent court case. So this involved, and I, I'm sorry to say this, but um, a number of middle-aged people, like myself, I have to say that, who were involved with um, a, an actual event over in London where they, let me just get this right up where they daubed the Shell building and the BP building with fake oil and in other situations, Extinction Rebellion, as you know, would glue themselves to, to various, to various um, buildings. So the, in the, the court proceedings, the defendants had, to, had hoped to rely on, on the necessity defence, which provide a lawful excuse for a criminal act, and to argue that their actions that day were necessary to raise the alarm about the climate threat of climate change and the pressure in the U- and pressure the UK government to act in other words to make some laws about it do you guys do you follow that case where actually yes. the jury they the because they represented themselves they addressed the jury directly again similar to the uh, the mangrove 9 and as a consequence of that even though they had no remedy in law and what they did was against the law they were acquitted well, you've always got a jury, and they will make up their own minds. I can remember, I haven't told you, I was once an article clerk to a solicitor, and in a country, uh, we lived in Staffordshire, and um, there was a case where one of the local uh, landowners uh, had committed a crime, but and it, it was against somebody, but everybody disliked that man. And when it came to court, there was no way that he was going to be found guilty. And I think controversially, people need to take on board what's going on at the moment because you've got a silent majority, but every so often it exercises itself because... Do they understand about Churchill? I reckon they do, that he has an element where he's promoting empire when it's going to end. But they appreciate him for what he did in 1940. Mm-hmm. And they don't appreciate his statue being daubed. OK, how does that relate exactly to, to what we're talking about? Sorry, I'm just asking well, for the listener. people like... and. Young people in particular are keen on the environment, etc. 
but there comes a point when the public do you stand or stick yourself to the top of a tube train and stop people going to work you're in danger of negativing the very positive response that people have to your cause. But these weren't young people. These were people in their 50s and 60s who were actually were up in court and defending themselves and they were acquitted. What would, yeah. ha- what would have happened if, they, if they'd been found guilty? I mean, the, the rule of law is there uh, for, for good reason and to make an exception to justify along the same grounds as the mangrove, uh, do you allow the exception to be able to allow then the rest of it to carry on? it can happen that you could be tried again because look what happened to Stephen Lawrence's murderers. They were acquitted first time around, but there was a lot of concern about what happened and different police officers, uh, and particularly Clive Driscoll, worked very hard to put them up in court again. And we did change the Constitution over that, because it used to be the law that you could only be tried once. Now, mm. if there is significant information which renders the previous case unjust... Sorry, can, can I just... Um, clarify an issue. We don't have a constitution in the UK, so no. what 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 was actually changed? And actually, it raises another question: Should we have a constitution yeah, of but, guiding principles? But then you've got problems because the American Constitution. Why should it be that you can't be president until you're forty, or a senator until you're thirty-five? It's it's quite restrictive in some ways, and okay. then they have to. So you're saying if it ain't broke, don't it. fix it. We're doing we all right. We have got a constitution. Okay. Magna Carta. Um, Three clauses from Magna Carta. Habeas. Four with. Four respect. clauses. Yeah. Habeas corpus. Um, the various. Le- oh, the Bill of Rights of 1702. So it's all there. Okay. So coming back to the sort of the thought then. So do you think this was just a one-off? A decision in the court or do you think that because we're talking about a lot of people and they're not young people the young people are clearly behind the whole concept of environmental issues and doing something to to reduce climate change or to stop climate change as far as possible as well as all the other uh, issues like um, plastic pollution and the biodiversity degradation and you know, extinction levels of biodiversity loss are we is this a one-off or are we going to see more of this where people are saying sorry government you got this wrong change the law well we see it all the time and laws do change i mean in my lifetime um homosexuality was against the law now we recognize lgbt people um abortion was against the law now you can have an abortion in certain circumstances. What's interesting is the Americans have a Supreme Court that is um, rules on what the Constitution is, and it's going to be interesting what happens to Roe, which is the lead mm. case of abortion, because Trump packed the Supreme Court with um, conservatives. 
Fantastic. Listen, there's great things. We're going to have to come back and discuss some of these later. I think it sounds as if the jury's out on literally on the issue of whether or not we are going to see a new Magna Carta or everyone's probably saying no, not yet. We're going to go to Darius now and rain down. Yeah, but uh, uh, and we're sort of coming to the end of the programme again. So, so Margaret, thank you so much for all your contributions. Fascinating. Uh, and suddenly that means it's official. You do have to come back. Thank you. No, no, no. You're, you're on a number of different subjects, I think. Yes, whatever okay. it is, come on back. Thank you. been listening to Politically Correct, Wisdom to Costa, Michael Burton, and our special guest was Margaret Lenton, who is a font of knowledge in all things relating to history, especially the Magna Carta. Thank you for joining us. Come back again next week at 6pm on Wednesday the 9th of June, and we will possibly have, not possibly, we will definitely have some amazing new items, including perhaps looking at racism in the RBWM. My heart is dry, but still I'm singing.